you would turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 13 to 24. We're also going to read a couple of verses from 2 Thessalonians, and of course, as always, for our Love Letter from God series, we are going to read John 3.16. If you would stand with me if you are able this morning as we read the scripture. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 13 to 24. I'm sorry, 12 to 24. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. And may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And then flip over just a couple pages to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord Jesus. Articulate the Father's heart through my voice and let the Holy Spirit breathe new life to us, opening our ears to hear the message of God. Amen. You may be seated. (laughs) I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene. I spent my whole life hearing words like sanctification and holiness and salvation, and I probably knew what sin was before I knew my colors and numbers. I learned scripture, and I knew all the Jesus stories and the Old Testament stories, better than I knew just about any pop culture reference. So I was really shocked and surprised as I grew up when other people, my husband and his friends, my school friends, my work colleagues, were all either unfamiliar with these things or understood them in a way that was completely different from the way that I understood them. But in reality, that is often the case with ideas and concepts that we are familiar with from birth because we know them well. 
And we expect everyone else to understand them exactly the way we do. Because we know them and understand them as kind of a second part of us. They're just deeply ingrained ideas. As an example, there's a married couple I know who tells the story of their initial dating this way. Bob, not his real name, and Carrie, not her real name, they met in college. They started dating, and Bob, who was raised in a Christian home, became uh, a little bit concerned because Carrie wasn't a Christian at all. So one day, he took his girlfriend, Carrie, out to a place where everyone in their college parked. And they sat there and didn't do what you do when you park in college, but talked about their future together. And he told her with great sorrow and conviction that he was not allowed to be unequally yoked with her. So he broke up with her using Jesus in his mind as the excuse. And she left their conversation completely perplexed as to why he broke up with her over eggs. He said he couldn't be unequally yoked with her. She left their conversation completely unsure as to why he broke up with her over eggs. But eventually she did become a Christian after they parted ways. And some years later, they actually met again, started dating again. And now they've been married for over 20 years, solid Christian people with a heart for service. But the wonder of that story is that two people had a really long conversation about their future together, and one of them had absolutely no idea what the other was even talking about. But the reason I say all of this when I am talking about First and Second Thessalonians is because there are a lot of things that could be very confusing in this letter. Things that we often think we understand, but we're kind of always, maybe often, thinking about eggs when we should be thinking about Jesus. The church in Thessalonica was one Paul started after he left Philippi. Philippi, if you will remember, was a place where he had been beaten and thrown into prison. Paul is in Thessalonica with Silas and Timothy, and here the Jews who are jealous of their success call out the non-Jews who were hosting them as housing rebellious insurrectionists against the Roman Empire. Paul and Silas and Timothy escape in the middle of the night to the next town, and the Thessalonian Jews follow them to that town, after some time, and finally Paul moves to Athens and leaves his co-workers behind, eventually heading off to Corinth. Timothy circled back to Thessalonica and then caught up to Paul in Corinth, telling him some of the things that the Thessalonians are doing and prompting Paul to write these letters. The first one gets sent, and in pretty short order, (coughs) excuse me, Paul hears that the issues are continuing and that there are some Paul impersonators hanging around. I'm sorry. I have to go get a bottle of water. 
Apologies for the commercial interruption. Ah, I feel way better now. <laughs> so Paul is in Corinth. Timothy comes to him and he says, the Thessalonians have some things really, really confused. They're not kind of doing stuff right and they're very confused. So Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians, and the first one gets there, the messenger comes back, and he says, well, it didn't really change anything. So Paul writes the second one, and he sort of references the first one, and he kind of points out, kind of elaborates a little more on some of the pieces that he talked about. Kind of clarifies for them some really important pieces. There's a couple of things that they're really un, um, unclear about. One of them is what happens to believers after they die. They've kind of gotten this impression that if you die, you aren't really a Christ follower. And that is just a complicated, crazy thing to us. But to them, what had happened is, is that they had become Christians in a very short amount of time right after Jesus was on earth and so for them it felt like that made sense that Jesus was going to return before they could die was basically what they were at but Paul says no 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 of course when you die you are immediately with Jesus if you are a Jesus follower but i want you to understand that just because you die doesn't make you a bad christian right and of course, we know 2,000 years later that lots of people have died who have been really great Christ followers, including Paul himself. And so to us, that seems a little bit confusing. But the important thing for us to understand there is that two things that they were confused about are what happens when you die and the idea that if you're suffering, whether it's ends in death, or if you're just being persecuted for whatever reason, that those things don't mean that you're a bad Christian. And it's important for you to know that. So even though we don't, under, we don't think that we're going to live forever on this place or in this space, we do believe that we will immediately be with Jesus when we do die. We don't understand how all of that happens, but that's what Paul tells us, and we believe it. The Thessalonians are really confused about all of this, and so Paul writes them the first letter, they get that information, and then they say, well, maybe Jesus already came back. He's like, no, that is not what I said. And so they have this ongoing conversation. So that's part of what Paul has written to them. It's not really the focus of what we're going to talk about today. 
The other part of the things that they were confused about had to do with how they were living for Jesus in the meantime. Because they weren't sure if Jesus had already come back or what was happening, they kind of had this idea that they could just hang out until Jesus came back. They'd let some of the wealthier people take care of their needs, and they'd just not do anything, because what was the point? Jesus was coming. Either Jesus was coming soon, or Jesus had already come, and they weren't sure what that all meant, but they were going to go ahead and kind of live lackadaisical lives. And Paul says, absolutely not. If you are able to Go do what you need to do to feed your family. Do the normal things you're doing. Do the things that you need to do. Live your actual life. But here's how you do it. You do it in a way that shows other people that you love Jesus, that you're following Jesus. Whatever you do begins to be that. He talks about the fact that they should be joyful. They should pray all the time. They should give thanks. Those are the things that will lead to holiness for them. And that's kind of the third thing that Paul really emphasizes in these letters, is what does holiness look like for a Jesus-following person? And he talks about some things related to what we do with our bodies and ourselves. And he talks about some rules that we kind of need to be aware of and follow. And when I was a kid, and even after I was a kid, before I really began to follow Jesus, I kind of understood holiness as a concept to be a list of rules. Don't do this or else. Don't do this or God is going to get you. Or God is going to be mad at you. Paul's like, I mean, God doesn't like it when we sin. God doesn't like it when we do those things. But the reasons that we do them don't have anything to do with us personally. They actually have to do with the other. It's always the message, right? Paul says in, uh, Paul talks to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 15, right? He says, uh, acknowledge those who work hard among you, who are, who caring for you in the Lord and who are teaching you. Hold them in high regard. Live in peace with each other. Warn people who are disruptive, but encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, don't pay anyone back wrong for wrong, strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. None of that has to do with what I do about me, right? I don't see anything here that says don't smoke or don't drink because it's bad for you, or because that's something you need to pay attention to. But don't drink and don't smoke might be things that we do for the other, for someone else. Those are things that we do to be an example to someone else. Jesus even talked about this a little bit. 
In fact, you read it in our gospel reading this morning. When you look at this and you hear Jesus saying, well, if you don't hate your father and your mother, your wife and your children, your brothers and sisters, then you're not my disciple. What Jesus is really saying is, it's not about you. He's saying, it's not about you. He said, hate your own self. Hate your own life because it's not about you. You have to consider the cost that says that if you're going to follow me, everything you do has to be about giving up everything you have for someone else because it's to their benefit. A few weeks ago before church, I was talking to someone who said, I have this desire to be hurtful or say hurtful things, but I know it's wrong. How can that be Christ-like? And I, I always want to say, look, it's, it is Christ-like. Not because you're thinking about doing something not nice to someone, but because when you're thinking about it, you know that it's wrong. And maybe before in your life you didn't necessarily have that opinion about that. But that's how Jesus works in you. Jesus gives you the strength to do that. And Jesus shows you where it is that when you are having thoughts about other people that are negative or doing things about other people that are negative, Jesus shows you that it's wrong. And eventually, Jesus grows the desire in you to not have that as your first response, to not have that be the first thought in your head, but instead to be thinking about how you can love the other. Jesus has said from the beginning, love God, love your neighbor. Those are his commands. He says, look, you don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to be afraid of other people because here is what you need to know. If you love God and you love others, that is how you follow Jesus. That is how you live redeemed. Holiness is living out the love that God has given us by loving our neighbor. It's really simple. It's not easy, but it's really simple. Love your neighbor. That's really three words. When I was a, when I was a kid and I went to church a lot, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights, if there was a revival, I was there every night, wherever, whenever there was church. And often we would get these preachers who would yell at us and get all sweaty and they'd jump off the platform and they'd run up and down in the aisles. I'm sure you would love it. I, I'm sure. And they would, they would make you feel guilty and they would tell you that if you didn't start to follow Jesus, you were going to go to hell. Well, I don't want to go to hell. I don't know anybody who really wants to go to hell. I know a lot of people who will say, oh, I, I don't care about going to hell. That's where all my friends are. And that's fine. 
that's a complete and total misunderstanding of what hell is, that's fine. Because we can't really wrap our minds around what that looks like or what that means. But I'm going to tell you that the reality is we're not saved to keep us out of hell. That is not why Jesus came to get us. That is not why we are redeemed. We are redeemed to love other people. We are redeemed for the here and now. Not some distant place in time. I mean, I can't wait to go and be with Jesus. Let me tell you that. It sounds great. But that's not what Jesus has called me to. I get to do that. That's a benefit. But what Jesus has called me to is to live for others now. To give now. To serve now. To live an abundant life because everything I do is not about me. It's about the other. That's what all of us who are called to follow Jesus do. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of scripture reminds us over and over that our job is to love as God loves and that we cannot do it on our own. The love letter that we have been reading from the beginning, that we have been studying, where we have gone through each of these books, it isn't just to show us how God loves us, but to show us how, because God loves us, we can give it away. It's a love letter from us, too. It's written on our hearts to give out. It is for us to put into practice loving others exactly the way that God loves us. It would be counter to everything we know about who God is and who Jesus is for salvation and sanctification and even eternal life to be about selfish motives. God is never selfish, and he calls us away from self-centered behavior, even self-centered behavior that makes me feel better than someone else because I don't do that. I am not like them. We are not transformed for our own sakes. We are transformed into the living, living, breathing epitome of hope that Jesus has for us so that we can give that hope away every single day by living lives that are above reproach by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not so we can feel better about who we are or so we can stay out of hell, but so that others might be able to recognize the need for Jesus in themselves and see how much that love changes everything. That's what Paul is writing in Thessalonians to the church in Thessalonica. And that is what Paul is saying to us. The God of peace will sanctify you through and through because the one who is faithful will do it. 
So I'll ask you to pull out your blue sheets today. And as you do, I want you to think about the fact that everything that God has done for us is something that God has done to show others what God's love looks like. And so, what does it mean to say God loves? To create us, to form us from the dust. To let us fail, to let us choose our own way over God's. To let us chain ourselves to sin and defeat and heartbreak and sorrow and death. To provide a rescue, a way back. Through wanderers, murderers, adulterers, defaulters, promise breakers, foreigners, strangers, and lovers. To show us mothers, judges, kings, and prophets who loved and spoke for God and kept reminding us of the promise of redemption. To show us how evil and wrong continually mess things up and how obedience to God fosters holiness and bestows blessing. To send us Jesus the only begotten Son of God, to preach and live peace, grace, hope, joy, and love. To see Jesus rejected, to see him die, to see him buried. To raise Jesus from the dead and send the Holy Spirit to remind us of all we have in him and empower us to live like Jesus. To want us to live like Jesus an abundant life infused with all the fruit of the Spirit, redeemed, free, loved, to still let us choose our own destiny, to promise the hope of forever, of resurrection from the dead, and final judgment. God loved us enough. God loves us enough. God will always love us enough. For God so loved the world. God loves you. God wants you to know it. God wants you to live in it. And God wants you to be able to love others because you know you are loved. God's love is expressed to us every week most tangibly as we gather at this table. The son who died and yet lives gave everything so we could know the depth of God's love. Beloved, come, drink the wine, eat the bread. Know you are loved. God loves you. Go, love the world with him.